Hello, darling. Uh, hello, hello. hello. <laughs> Hi, love. Sorry, I, I'm sideways. Yeah, I don't. You're know. sideways. Oh, there you go. Well, you fixed it. So, are we? Uh, so, so, are, are we? Is it happening? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do this. Thanks for downloading this episode of Skin Tinks, hosted by me, Skin. I hope you all enjoy the podcast so far. Thanks for all your lovely comments and ratings and for following. Honestly, it's really appreciated. Uh, this episode, I caught up with the brains behind one of UK's greatest indie bands of the noughties. Uh, without further ado, here is the extended chat between me and Block Party's Kelly. How are you doing? How rude of me? Hello. I'm how good. Doing? How are you doing? It's nice to see your little cheeky face. It's, it's been a while. It's, it's, no, no, it's been a while for everybody, really. <laughs> yeah, it has been. It has been a while. But I, I feel like I feel like you've been quite close to me because I've been reading your book actually at the moment. Oh, you have. Yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah I have. Oh, you know you're in it, right? <laughs> um, I'm. I'm only at the start. I'm only at the start. Oh God. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You. I think you're in it a little bit. That that part in my house when I opened the oh, cupboard. Yeah. It was, yes. Yeah, yes. and you you guys were like jamming. It was like. I techno going on downstairs <laughs> and then you guys are in the cup with Shinge uh like yes. playing like acoustic music like jamming out it was really funny I'm just at the Brookston bit at the start of your childhood so it's uh yeah so it's yeah. good no it's, it's, it's good it's good it's good but it's lovely yeah. to see you you too. I'm happy you're reading my book. That's nice. <laughs> I should say to my um lovely audience that uh Kay and I have known each other for for quite a while it's what yes. maybe 15 years something like that yeah I th- yeah I, I think it would have been around 2007 2008 was the first time i think we spoke on the phone i called you up when i was living in bethlehem green i remember yeah we spoke then but i actually yeah. met you in a club in brixton but we'll talk about that oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm not gonna spill any dirt don't worry um but listen um thank you for coming on this show uh introducing kerry me. from um from other things as well as solo artists and also from block party i was just gonna ask you i've been starting off um kind of all of my interviews just basically just catching up with sure. where you've been what how has your lockdown been what's been going on you know it's been an interesting year for me this last year um when we went into the first lockdown we had just had a six-month-old baby. Um, That's right, yeah. Eden. So I guess at the start of lockdown, life didn't really change so much for us because we were just both, me and my partner, we were just both jet-lagged the whole time, not really going out, just looking after this baby. So it didn't really feel like at the start much in our life had changed other than the kind of background of kind of mass hysteria of everyone you know, buying um, toilet <laughs> roll and yeah, and that crazy stuff. So, but life kind of didn't really feel so different. It was, it was only really kind of into it that I started, you know, then a lot of the projects that I had kind of going on had to be postponed. I was working on a, a musical um, and a block party were about to start making, well, we'd actually just finished demoing and we were about to start recording an album. So that all got kind of postponed and I, um, and yeah, so I just suddenly kind of, suddenly I was, I went from being very busy to not very busy like at all. And, and it was great. We had, we had my daughter and my son. So, so yeah, I just kind of became like a stay at home dad and, you know, and that was great. That was super rewarding, but it was also super challenging. You know, I miss doing music. So I, um, I set up an Instagram page just so I could just perform songs that I'd written and songs that I liked. Um, so I kind of did that at the start of the year and that was fun. It was 
great to have like a lifeline to be able to communicate to like an audience. Um, yeah. And you know, and, and from that I started working on an album that I recorded in the second lockdown. Um and, and that's coming out in and that's I mean, listen, out. you're 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 jumping ahead, man. I've got all these questions sorry, for you. You're telling you're telling me too you're telling everybody too much too soon, because I've got lots of questions for you, man. Uh, um, yeah, but I'll rein it in. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, that's a little bit of a silver lining because I think that there's so much negative to talk about COVID. I mean, that's yeah. all those things are obvious, you know. Yeah. But then at the same time, I mean, I found like I, a, a lot of positives came out of it. Like I had a lot of time to do a lot of going into things quite deeply, everything that I was doing. And so yeah. you had these little kids and you had all this time with them that you would definitely not have had, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with Savannah, Savannah is our four-year-old. Um, when she was born, I was still kind of touring, so so I was there and I was present for most of it. But there were kind of lots of things that I, you know, that lots of developmental things that yeah. I missed. But with Eden, our six month old at the time, um, yeah. I was there. I was there every single day. So yeah. you know, I got to see, you know, I got to see him taking his first steps. And wow. Yeah, I, I got to see him, you know, becoming like a human. A, a, yeah, <laughs> human, really, for want of a better word. And yeah, yeah and, and, and and that's something that I'll always be thankful that I was present for. And so yeah, yeah, there was a silver lining to this. There has been a silver lining to this year for me personally. So. Yeah, yeah, amazing. You started talking about it, but I was going to ask you about. I've been seeing an Insta from the last year that you've been mm. posting a lot of the recording process in a very kind of raw like way. Literally, you feel yeah. like you've just written those songs, and this is something that. Your fans and the people, people never get to see that. They never yeah. really get to see the music being created. It's something yeah. that we usually hide. And I also had this sense of you that it was also almost kind of, almost keeping you sane. Like you're going into this cubby hole and just yeah. <laughs> doing well, music same, and keeping same, you sane. Yeah, the same cubby hole that I'm in right now. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it was fun sharing the music for people, but it was definitely initially just like in a, a sense of personal kind of therapy for me just to have you know something to do every day you know something something to do every day that I knew that you know I knew that I have to post these performances free a week it was just it was just something that just kept me engaged kept me listening hmm. to music and kept me feeling like a musician really so yeah and you did it in a kind of a, a social media, which I guess is a bit worthy because I saw in your social media you only started it on March thirty first. You know, I've never, I've, I've always been slightly wary of the expose, I guess, the, the exposing nature of kind of social media. Like I, I don't want to put my what I'm eating or that sort of thing, and and I don't actually really want to be inundated with other people's images of what they're eating and 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 that sort of thing so like i don't really i don't follow anyone but i knew that i wanted to communicate with people and i knew and i knew that i had to you know that this was the best way to to just be able to share stuff and 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 have that kind of feedback so so i kind of reluctantly joined but once i was there i found that i really you know i really really enjoyed having that kind of response um you know, from people and I don't know, you know, yeah, so, so it, it kind of wasn't about anything other than just getting the music out, you know, just, you know, you know, getting these performances kind of out there just to give me something to kind of orient myself. Yeah, it's interesting because I have a love-hate thing with social media because um, when, 
it all started, I mean, I'm older than you. So when it all started, it was quite kind of like, oh, this is fun. Me and my mates from all over the world. I had about 60 friends and yeah. it was a real laugh. And I could see everything they were doing. I did feel like this real kind of deep connection that kept going, especially my friends that lived abroad. And now it's kind of like this big bloated thing. It's like now it's much more of a marketing and a work tool. Um, and, and, and I guess in the, in the last year, it's changed again. I'm much more kind of, you know, I depend on it a lot more. So yeah. I've kind of slowly, slowly yeah. kind of seeing it as a different thing now and kind of got into it a bit more. It's a bit more fun now. You've got to follow some people, though, Kelly. Uh, I, 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 I know, but I just, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't follow anyone, but I do look at other people's profiles. And, and it's starting to, like, I don't know, I'm starting to, you know, it, it's starting to kind of affect me because I'm, kind of seeing all these kind of shirtless boys on my, uh, on, uh, <laughs> it's kind of suggesting all these, yeah, it's kind of like I'm aware that maybe I, I have to kind of keep a, a, lid, a lid on that side of, of things. Um, yeah, well, you, yeah. Can, you, 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 can, you can do that without watching the, watching the muscle boys yeah. <laughs> on uh, the beach, so, right? <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm definitely exploring it i just you know it's been useful for me in this in this uh, lockdown but i do see how it has affected how people present themselves and yeah oh no, god I, yeah yeah I, I, just, I just want to you know i just want to keep it at arm's length but i'm aware that as a musician working in this day and age you kind of have to have some kind of yeah like social online presence um but it's a balancing it's a, it's, I'm still it's navigating. A yeah, it's a love-hate thing. Well, I mean, one of the things that I found in this COVID thing is like for the first time, literally since I was at university, that it's like I have a schedule. I wake up, I do this, I do that. I wake up actually, I do my training, I have breakfast, I go into my studio, you know, do yeah. my interviews, do my show, yeah. work till about yeah. six and then stop. And that's the first time since I was actually, uni was kind of regular, but then when I actually had a nine-to-five job, um, that was the last um, time I did that. Which is, I'm, I'm have you, I love I'm, that though. <laughs> I mean, I mean uh, yeah, it, it's funny. It's funny because I was saying this to my partner, but like over the years, I've often fantasized about you know, you know, not doing music anymore and just being you know, you, you like you know how it is. You're, you're on a yeah, tour bus, absolutely, for, for months at, at a time. You you know, you're away from your your friends and your family and like you can sometimes feel that your life is, is escaping you. And I, I've definitely had those moments where I thought, do I really want to do this anymore? And so, yes, so to have it kind of enforced upon me, it's definitely been something I'm paying attention to because because I am enjoying it. I'm enjoying, you know, I'm enjoying, like, doing the washing up. I'm enjoying, like, doing the gardening. <laughs> I'm enjoying putting, like, my kids to bed. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm not on the road, but I am still, I do still feel connected to music. So, I mean, I, I do feel personally i know this is going to be controversial but i do feel that this was a good thing to happen to you know in my life you know just personally from where you know for where where i've been for the last few years i like i definitely feel uh, thankful that i've been able to experience some time at home i think that's a very very important thing that you just picked up on that i think that people have to look at the COVID situation from their own personal standpoint. Yeah. Because if you say that, it was like, how can you say that all these people glide and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, we all know that. But from yeah. a personal standpoint, how did my life change? And how is that not going to go? Well, there's definitely things I'm not going back to. I don't feel yeah. like I need to fly around the world to do a bunch of interviews unless there's photos in, in, involved. Unless yeah. there's a big yeah. piece and there's photo involved. I can do so much more 
yeah from being at home and i think that there's a personal relative thing that you were talking about that's that's really important rather than trying to say the right thing because you know we feel guilty about all the horrific things that have happened personally i think there's a lot we can benefit from it and there's a lot we can move forward to with and and get and, and see things differently it's funny you say that because actually at the start i remember in the first lockdown you know obviously everyone everyone was freaking out we, you know, we knew that the world had changed and we didn't really know how it was going to change. You know, we didn't really know what the long-term kind of ramifications were going to be. But I remember thinking this, you know, there, I remember feeling a sense of kind of optimism that maybe the way that we live is going to change now because of this. Maybe we will all collectively appraise what's important in our lives and maybe this will be the start of a new way of living. And it, and it wasn't, you know, things went back to to normal pretty quickly but you know i remember hearing you know i remember you know there were less cars on the street you could hear the birds and mm-hmm. I, it, there was a period a short period where i i was kind of optimistic about what the future was yeah um, gonna be but then yeah and but then quickly but then you quickly, know yeah, switch and, back on again yeah. i mean those first few weeks for me i was <laughs> the first few weeks i was drinking wine i was doing the work <laughs> i had my feet up i was watching netflix i was like the first three weeks was just like oh my god i needed this i was yeah. it was the first time since i was 18 that i actually did nothing and then after that i was like okay i'm getting bored now i need to start yeah. doing a bit of work on from that I do think that like as an artist I think we're constantly put in situations where we're kind of you know sharing intimate stuff with complete strangers in interviews so I don't want to do that but it seems to me that you actually went through a lot to become Kelly from Block Party doing like indie music and stuff is it true that the music from that you kind of hid your music from your parents while you were studying English literature uh uh, yeah, I mean, it kind kind of. I mean, it, it was kind of. It's weird because when we talk about it now, my parents like act like that I'm making this up. But you know, I, you know, I remember being a teenager and and I remember going and meeting a, a guitar player in West London. This I would have been probably about fourteen. Someone that I'd been speaking to about starting up a group and starting, starting up a band, and I, I I didn't tell my parents until after I come I came back and they weren't into it at all. They they weren't into the idea of I guess me becoming a musician because you know I guess for them they they emigrated from Nigeria you know in their mind they hoped that my sister and I would I don't know I guess that we would you know that we'd get kind of I guess traditional professions um doctor teacher lawyer the architect yeah yeah and I understand that I, I you know I understand where that kind of reasoning has come from because those kind of professions signify a sense of kind of security and you know as as immigrants they wanted the best for us so like i I get that but um you know that wasn't the path that i wanted um so throughout my teens i kind of always hid the fact that i was into, into music and i was in bands and stuff and i didn't tell my parents that i dropped out of university to to be in a band until we were signed, until we had a record contract. And my parents were upset, but you know, they got over it. And, and then it wasn't really until they started seeing me in magazines, you know, and on television and their, and you know, and importantly, their friends started seeing me in magazines and television that they thought, okay, well, he hasn't just thrown his life away to become a busker. Um, <laughs> they could see that there was something in this. And then 
obviously with that year that we released our first album was I think was a big eye opener for them because you know yeah because people in their church were coming up to them and telling them that they'd seen me and stuff um, on television so so you know so ever since then it was fun but yeah there was there was an initial period where I felt that I had to hide I had to hide it because. I mean, I knew they wouldn't really understand. It's, it's interesting because, I, I mean, I don't think this is like just um, kind of black parents, Jamaican and African parents and Indian parents that have this issue. Obviously, there's yeah. lots of kids that, that sure. have that issue. But I definitely felt like, I mean, I didn't tell my mum, she didn't know I was even taking music seriously until I was on top of the pops, <laughs> you know. Really? I, I didn't tell them nothing. Nothing. I mean, I, they were just not into it. They weren't interested in it. They thought I was working as an interior designer, which is how I started. And But I was sneaking off to, to playing clubs and stuff like that. But you have a brother that was in a sound sound system? Yeah, my brother Bevan was in a sound system. Okay. But that was, that was like, my mum hated that. Hated uh, okay. it. And I guess in some ways he's the one that showed me the way, you know, because it was like he was doing all, he just did what he wanted to do and he used to come home and get beaten every morning because mm. <laughs> he wasn't being out all night. But, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. but your family, they knew you were playing yeah. guitar. When did you start yeah. playing guitar? Um, I mean, I started... And, well, and piano, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I, I've only really started playing piano in the last, like, two, three years. I, I did, we didn't have a piano in, in my house. It was only really from going to recording studios and seeing pianos around and then buying like a word at sir and um, when I lived in East London but I didn't actually touch at all I, I had it in my flat in Shoreditch in 2008 and then I had it and then you know it wasn't really until I moved to South London that I actually started playing the piano but yeah um, the guitar my sister um, had an acoustic guitar in her room and whenever she was out when I was a teenager I'd go up to her room and I'd Teach myself chords. Um, she's older just, sister. Yeah, she's yeah, one year old. Man, you're lucky. So you get tr- you got in trouble for that, right? She's not letting well, you. Well, yeah, I mean, I was smart enough to do it when she wasn't in the house. <laughs> but she wasn't. Yeah, she wasn't. She wasn't into me going into her room going for it. Right. Things, so. <laughs> no, she wasn't into that at all. Um, so yeah, so that that was kind of how I started. I was I was really lucky. There was a there was like a, a musical instrument shop like one street over like from our roads so when i was like very young i remember buying a really cheap like squire guitar um you know not really knowing anything about guitars and then i guess i bought more it wasn't really until i was actually when i was in my gap year i was working in a watch shop in covent garden and with my first paycheck i bought um, a Thin Lion Telecaster, which is the guitar that I still write everything on today. It's not in this room, oh. so it's downstairs. But yeah, that was um, how I got into that. What, what were you listening to in those early days? What were the stuff that you what wanted to be? What was I listening to? Yeah, what, who were the artists that you wanted to be like? Or, want to, or just inspire you, maybe not what to be like, yeah. but, you know, yeah, the I stuff mean, that I you mean, liked. I joke, but the first artist I ever remember seeing you know, on top of the pops that kind of inspired something in me was Criss Cross. Do you remember those two guys? Those oh, two kids that they Criss Cross, jump, jump, Criss Cross, yeah. Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, those two little kids. You know, I mean, I, whatever, it was like a fun kind of pop song, but I think it was just seeing two black kids um, on television yeah. as pop stars was, was like, oh, wait a minute, like something that clicked in me. And then throughout my teenage years, I guess the first, um, I mean, the first indie rock album I ever heard was um, Park Life by Blur. Um, and, and that was, again, my sister. It was, somebody had bought it for my sister. Um, and yeah, and, and she didn't really listen to it, but I would listen to it. Um, 
when she wasn't in again. So I guess my sister's been quite formative in my musical direction because all the things that I started, I guess it started with her, but that was the first guitar record I ever, ever heard. It's interesting I, because, because you, you, I know you had a bit of a beef with Oasis and I had beef with, um, with Blur because, oh, really? um, yeah, because, you know, we did this thing for the enemy and um, we basically, off our second single, which was I Can Dream, you know, they had this thing where they would get an artist to critique other artists. Yes, music. I remember, I remember. remember that? And um, Damon absolutely slagged off our single and just slagged us off. Was it? And that was our first thing. And then he just continued to do it for years after that. And so we turn up in countries and they were like, oh, Damon Albarn doesn't like you very much, does he? And I'd be like, what, what is wrong with this guy? What does... yeah. And then, you know, now I know basically he was kind of part of that whole, you know, anti-grunge, anti-American stuff. And we got kind of put into that yeah. um, pile because we weren't British sounding and Britpop sounding and all that. Um, but yeah, so, so I, I, even though I think they're an amazing band and I get on really well with the rest of the band, I, it was always a bit like, oh, you know, oh, is... why, you know. Is it, is it, I mean, is it, is it still weird now if you, if you were to sit, yeah. sit down? Yeah, is it already? it's still I weird. Mean, yeah. I, I mean, mean it, and it's interesting that Block, block Party, you had a thing with one big uh, Britpop band, and we, Skunk and Nancy, had a whole thing yeah. with another Britpop band. You know, it's yeah. just kind of like, and like, there's a bit of synergy there in the fact that in some ways we were easy targets. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I get that. I, I get that. I mean, you know, as, a, as an outsider, and thinking of what Skunk Anderson meant to me as like, as a young person, although you were, of course, although you were a British rock band, you weren't part of Britpop. You, there was always something kind of edgier, edgier about you, and I think that's why you know, and that's why a lot of people liked you, and you know, that's what I liked you. Yeah, and there was something that was that was kind of tougher. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned the kind of a racist thing because you know it didn't really feel like a thing. You know, I mean, and and and, and it doesn't feel like a, a thing now. Maybe at the start of our career, there was something that we wanted to rail against. Um, but I think seeing how guitar, you know, seeing the space that guitar music occupies now, I, I kind of look back quite fondly of music of, 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 of like all music of, of, of that period, really, and and, and I can appreciate that. Although it's not music for me, I can appreciate that it's touched people, and I, and I can hear things in it. You know, I can hear things in it that I like. So that's one of the only things I think that I'm disappointed about with our, um, you know, the, the things that happened in the past is that like, you know, like beefing with other bands. It just seems like a complete waste of time, really. You know, yeah. we're all, you know, we're all, you know, here to do the same job. We're all musicians. We want to share what what we've made with, with people i just don't think that it's it's so productive kind of putting that kind of energy out there so that's the one thing i wish i mean i feel like i don't know i feel like they started it <laughs> i mean well, I, yeah I they, well they did start it yeah <laughs> and uh, you finished it but but, it, but yeah. it, don't you think i think that the the way that musicians are there's a kind of things are kind of evolved now because I mean, I think, as you say, you know, you know, Blur started, well, not Blur, but David started a beef with us and we just didn't entertain it because we were just yeah. like, we're not turning into another oasis. We're not, and we're going to lose because he was like, you know, he was the king of British music at the time. So we were just mm. like, well, if we're going to go up against Damon from Blur, we're just going to fail. So we just avoided it. Um, and I think as a consequence, it just, it didn't 
turned into a big thing. But yeah. listen, I was going to ask you about something else because I know you're Fernando Scancanensi and, and I'm a massive fan of Block Party, as everybody knows. But you actually did something really amazing for me because I know we used to catch up with each other every now and then. And you really encouraged me to get into um, DJing and electronic yeah. music because I started off, you know, I think that we have a lot of synergy in that because, you know, you're a raver, I'm a raver. I think I saw you at um, Bergheim, Panorama Bar, when you were doing like uh, your solo stuff, you like DJing there. Yeah. And then we had conversations and phone calls about that. And you really kind of encouraged that. How was putting that element into indie music and rock music? How has that been for you? Yeah, how's I mean, nah, I feel like with me, um, I don't really have, there's no kind of game plan or, or anything. I, I just... I'm motivated by the music, you know, I'm motivated to do whatever feels right and, and authentic. And, and because I've, you know, and because I've grown up you know, going to gigs, you know, in mosh pits, but also going to clubs and that whole experience, you know, growing up in London, you're exposed to so many different perspectives and cultures. And Because you're from Liverpool, right? No, well, I was I was born in Liverpool, but okay. we moved moved to Scotland, and then I and then we moved to moved to Edinburgh, and then we moved to London when I was like eight years old. We moved to East okay. London, so okay. I pretty much spent like all of my like teenage years, my formative years in East London. Um, yeah. So you know, in a in, in Newham, which is a very kind of diverse community, so I've always been surrounded by lots of different people with different perspectives, and I've kind of not been scared of about that. You know, I think that kind of tribalism around musical or like indie music thankfully seems to be kind of dying out and I, I understand why I understand why it meant a lot to be to be like a punk or a mod or a rocker or something like 20 30 years ago but I, in this day and age the way that the world is connected I feel like you have to be open to everything from everywhere yeah so to go back I guess that's kind of always been my approach about listening to music and making music really just trying to bring everything together and for it to make sense to you and you know that it won't necessarily make sense to everyone but you know I, I don't know it, it, but it will make sense to you so that's just always been my approach just you know you try to document where you where you are yeah because we, we actually um met in a club in Brixton <laughs> Which club was it? Which, which the one that's the one that you opposite the tube station, and oh, you kind of got it down the side. Queer Nation. Queer Nation. We you actually were... met for the first time in Queer Nation. Are you kidding? And I, yeah, I was on the dance floor, and I kept looking over the corner, and I saw you there. And I was thinking, I'm sure that's a guy from Black Party, but he's like me. He's like an indie guy, you know. And and in the end, I just went over and started chatting to you, and that's so when I... we first met. You forgot that. Hey, it's not that I forgot that, but it's probably. You know, if you met me in Queer Nation in Substation South, I was probably I was probably slightly somewhere else. If, if, if you uh huh. Me. Yeah, I know you. So, <laughs> you've had uh, a few drinks. Let's say that you've had a yeah, few yeah. drinks by then. Yeah, but it was a yeah. Uh, yeah so, and then we just kept bumping into each other. Yes, yes. I used to love that club so much. That was, that, that was Queer Nation was everything, that was my right? Space. It was. But it was just Queer Nation was everything. For people yeah. listening, basically, Queer Nation was a gay club in Brixton that was kind of down in a basement opposite yeah. uh, Brixton Tube Station. And the music was fun- basically funky house, right? Yeah, it was. It was. It was yeah. Soulful. And it was, was so amazing. It was amazing. It was. God, I've completely forgotten about that part of my life. But, I, but you're bringing back some memories. <laughs>
I feel like, I mean, like me, you have this massive love of electronic music. I mean, I was a yeah. raver, you know, going to fields and house music and going to trade all these clubs before I was in a rock band. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at the way that your music has kind of dra- gradually changed. How is your creative process now? Because it feels to me like you're using, and I'm going to ask you a boring gear question, but the way that it feels that you're doing electronic music is a very analog kind of pedal way. You know, yeah. you're still using pedals, but you're doing it in a kind of like, you're taking that into electronic music and slightly, because your two albums that you've done, you had two yeah. albums that are in 2019, right? You had Leave to Remain in 2042. Yeah. 2042 and Leave yeah. to Remain, I would, say, I would say, it's a bit more of a dance album. Yeah. Slightly. But you know, so it's interesting. You have two completely different albums. Natural Hair, by the way, is an amazing track. So people check oh, that out. Thank um, you very much. So thank I you. was going to ask you about it's almost like you've seen electronic music through an uh, yeah. uh, indie guy, uh, guitar direction, yeah. right? Point POV. Yeah, I mean, Leave to Remain in 2042. Um, Leave to Remain was um, because the soundtrack for a musical that I, that I scored, I guess. Um, so although there are electronic elements it to me it, that record doesn't really feel like it's a solo record because i was right, i see very much kind of bound to like a, a narrative of this kind of love affair it's stories yeah yeah so so you know there was a kind of west african kind of high life influence and the brief was to try and somehow meld that with a kind of late night london like club world so that's kind of where that came from um 2042 was, I think, more of like an album. I was able to express what I wanted to express. Um, I mean, right. just about the process, I guess. I mean, I made a solo album, my second solo album, Trick, I feel was very much about nightlife and, you know, the, the, the clubs that I was going to, the conversations that I was having, the people that I was meeting in this kind of yeah. like 3 a.m., 3 4 a.m. kind of world. And I feel like that is the closest I've got to to really exploring that kind of side of, of my personality. I think the stuff that I've been doing on my, on my Instagram, like it's just, it's, it's a completely like lo-fi setup. It's just two pedal boards, like two pedals that are set up and I'm kind of making these loops. So I'm kind of approaching the groove, I guess, in a, you know, I'm not using computers or programming or anything. It is all kind of quite live. So it's, are you not using any software at all? No logic or...? No, not for the performances that I'm doing in this room that, that I've been doing on Instagram. It's just, it's just pedals that I've been making these loops and kind of affecting them. So it's, it's, it's been like a completely new way of playing for me. And it's, you know, I've made this record that we'll, we'll be talking about later, but that's kind of where it's really come out of, this sense mm. of, you know, there's no, it's, it's, just, it's just guitar loops, that's all. There's no drum mm. machines, it's all, it's all me. So yeah, I, this lockdown... And what I've been doing this year, it's kind of changing my process a, a yeah. little bit at all. Is, is it safe to talk about the album? Let's talk about that because it's self-produced, right? It's, it's, it's kind of half and half. I, I, I've done, I did a lot of it. And then I went to work with a guy called David Wrench, who has these, he, he basically produced and mixed it. And he has these great ears. And yeah, he, he was awesome, actually. A really, a really awesome. And we, we'd worked together, he, he mixed like a block party album and I, and I really enjoyed his company and his presence so so when I was finishing off this album it seemed to make sense to ask him to get involved and he was down to do it so that was really awesome um, but yeah it was mainly just the demos that I've just kind of I re-recorded certain things but the arrangements and everything yeah 
you kind of done yeah all yeah. the work yourself yeah i mean small time Bob is one of the greatest british songs that's ever come out of the country yeah. um yeah. it's a song that spoke to me when i was a child in brixton for sure. um for sure. you too. know because it was about you know getting out of your situation and i love yeah. brixton but i think that everybody needs to le- to leave whatever village yeah. they're from you know they need yeah. to learn um what does that song mean to you I think I think everything that you, I think everything that you've just said really it's um, it's such an emotional recording that you know that and the video that, that we can all think of but just in ter- in terms of the song in terms of the sound this is such an overwhelming kind of sadness in like, that you can hear and every single time I, I hear the original version it just it, it just moves me it's, it's it's hard to quantify. It's one of the few recordings that I, that still kind of moves me. Whenever I hear mm. it, 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 it can be in a club, if it's in a shop, if it's in a radio, I have to stop and I have to listen to it. Me too, yeah. I mean, it's weird. I also think the message of the song, this idea of escaping where you're from, you know, that, you know, if you get on that train to London, life will be better um, eventually. It was, it was a message that I think, certainly in lockdown, was something that kind of made sense. The idea of, you're waiting for this period in your life to pass so you can have more freedom and you can you're trying to get past the point and I think for a lot of people this last year has felt like that that they've been trying to get to the point that we're just about to fingers crossed enter now with with the restrictions being eased so it kind of seemed to work on lots of different levels for me. And the rest of the album, because that song is as much about the groove as it is about the lyrics and the message. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you do a very kind of grooveless version that's very, very yeah. beautiful, very touching. Yeah, I mean, it's weird this, because, you know, this album is the first album, I mean, this is my sixth so album that I've made, and it's the first one that I've made. It's kind of, you know, I've recorded everything myself. There's no extra musicians, no... No beat makers, no back and forth no nothing. It's just, it's all me and my guitar. Like, even the percussion that people do hear, like the drums on the, on the Small Town Boys song, that's not, that, you know, that's not a drum machine. That's, that's what I've made, that sound with the guitar. So it's kind of weird. I mean, I was listening to quite a lot of classical music whilst I've been at home in lockdown. You know, I can't really listen to loud kind of confrontational music. So... There's always, you know, there's always been this kind of gentle, kind of droning stuff in the back, in the background for the, this last year, and I think that has fed into the feel of the record. To me, it's quite, I mean, it's quite minimal. It's quite loop based. It's quite meditative. Um, I think that the first song that people heard, "The Heart of the Wave," the instrumental thing that I released first, I think that's a good indication of. I guess the textures that people will hear on the record, but you know there are songs. It's not all instrumental music. I think there's only I think four instrumental ideas. Which mm. to me, it's not a jump up and down party record. But I'm just hoping that people make the space to listen to it because I think it's it's a yeah it's just it's a new territory for me I guess. And yeah. I mean, I mean, I think because I knew we were making a block party record, we were that close to making the record. I think with this solo album that I've made, it, it was an opportunity for me to exercise a lot of the anxieties that I've been having this year and just put yeah. put all that into this, not the block party. Not music. the block party so, on. You, you had a safe space for it. Yeah, so we'll be interested to see what people think. Yeah, actually, I can't, it, cannot actually, wait to hear it. Thank you very much. <laughs>
I think one of the things I want to ask you about um, was also, I didn't actually know you studied English language, you know, that's something I discovered on, on, on the web. Um, and it really makes so much sense because the, the way that your lyrics are, there's so much depth, there's so much kind of um, the, your phrasing, the words that you're using, the, you know, you go from almost a rapping repetitive style to some beautiful long narcotic notes. Um, and there is a very strong, strong sense of someone who really deeply understands the English language. And you've used it in many ways, in, in political ways. You know, you're talking about um, things that are important, you know, being a black man, being a black gay man in this world that we're in, you know, and I think people say to me, well, why do you write political songs? I'm like, because I look, look who I am and look where I am, you know? Yeah. Um, is that something yeah. that, you know, your love of English language, was that something that has always been important to you? Has it always been important to you to have um, political themes in your music? Sure, I mean, I, I mean, I get it's, it's weird with, it's weird if, um, it's weird with that because yeah, I studied English at university, but I, I mean, it's always something I've enjoyed. I, I, I like reading, I, I like, I've always enjoyed reading books and, and that was probably my favourite period because, you know, when I was studying English, um, you know, you'd have to read like five to eight books like a week. So you, you couldn't make space, you know, you had to make time and space to like throw yourselves, throw yourself into these other worlds. And it was a great time. Um, but, you know, I didn't finish my degree because Plot Party got signed. And um, so I only, I only did like a year and a half. Um, and it's something that I think maybe at some point in my life it would be nice to go back and, and just do it for fun, you know, to just... Is there, is there, some, is there still like an un, unrequited feeling there then? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that because I definitely enjoy my life now and, and you know, and I definitely feel like I'm doing what I'm was put on the planet to do. So, and, you know, and, and I know that not many people have that, have feeling. So I'm, you know, I, I don't take that for granted that, you know, every, you know, it's like in the lockdown, you know, I was able to work on music every day and still, and feel fulfilled kind of spiritually and mentally. So, you know, so I, I love my job and I love doing it. And I do think at some point it would be nice to just to finish my degree just because, and I think, you know, and I think the good thing about studying something like English is that when I was at university, you know, there were lots of people, like there were lots of mature students, there were lots of people from all walks of life doing it. So it, I know that it's, it is something that I could go back to. But with regards to writing politically, I mean, I don't feel that it's kind of like a contrived position. I just, I feel like it's like what you said, you know, I'm a black man, like, you know, I'm a black gay man living in, in the world. You know, my perspective on things might, might be different to the traditional views that are espoused. So I think it's important that my perspectives are heard. That's the crux of it, really. It's, it's not about trying to be clever or difficult or anything like that. You just want to, you know, you want to be able to articulate, you need to be able to articulate what how it is you see the world. And I'm lucky that I have a platform to do that you know so it, it's not something that I'm thinking about I just you know it's not something I'm thinking that I, I have to do it's something that it's something that I know that I have to do so it just, yeah. does that make you know that, yeah yeah because yeah. how do you look back with what you know now and what happened now with a bit of perspective in terms of how you were treated when you came out of the closet because I remember that you were perceived and treated as you know a lot of black men are you know you this massive sex symbol 
you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, listen, they like, even come there. Still out. I'm, I'm still out. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. You know, I can, I can, I'm not, I'm big, I'm not big enough there now. I'm big enough. <laughs> yeah. I remember literally being backstage at um, yeah. one of those gigs, and that you were like surrounded by all these little girls, and you were just smiling politely in the middle of it. And I remember thinking, you know, and yeah. then you know the way that the press treated you when you yeah. came out as gay, I thought was quite. It was wild, right? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely like it was definitely a wild time in my life, and it was weird that I was, you know, on one hand, I, you know, I was traveling the world. I would, you know, I I was getting to do the only thing that I wanted to do in my life, which was kind of be a be a musician, and 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 it was awesome. But then at the same time, I had to like it felt that first year of. Uh, you know of our record coming out our first record coming out I felt like I was constantly having to go into battle mode every time I was doing every time I was sitting down to do an interview every time I had to speak to someone it felt like I was you know it felt like um, I had to have my shields up and um, and it was just kind of tiring but looking back on that period now like I mean, I wouldn't change anything, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change anything because, like, I am where I am now because of, the, of that period, you know. I mean, I mean, it's, for sure, it's not fun being, uh, being outed um, by, like, a national newspaper, but then, but then it's bigger than me, isn't it? It's, it's like, it's bigger than what's happening in my life. It, it's, it's like, if the existence of someone like me makes it easier for young kids, like, you know, in the UK, in the world, wherever, and then you have to fight the good fight. Like, I, the, like this last weekend, I was obsessed with that um, Montero video. The Lil Nas. Yeah. I just, I, I just thought, this is, the, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Right? Like, People like, are losing their shit over that. It's amazing. It, it is, <laughs> it, he, he's like, on one hand, I get why people are kind of frightened about the kind of satanic kind of imagery but that's you know i feel like that's like not the point i feel personally i feel that the point of the video is about rather than ingesting all this perceived shame about who you are why not own who you are you know why not own who you are exactly and i i just i don't know that 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 move has moved me so much Really, you know, a black gay artist has done that at the height of his career. You know, he's, yeah, I think I, I, I digress. But. Yeah, but not, I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, it's also this idea of like, you know, you were outed because it was and it was treated in some kind of like, oh, he's gay, like this kind of negative thing. Um, and I, I do think that things have moved on. I think do think that now people's sexuality and not being, um, you know, not being straight, being non-binary, whatever um, you are, is is more accepted now within kind of more generalistic terms at the same time there's also this huge kind of thing against it you know the republican party in america are going sure. to they're doing for everything sure. they can to destroy trans people and trans kids and gay people everything for, for, you know for sure yeah i mean, I mean but it's like but they can't they're t- the, the horse is bolted they can't put the horse back in the box you know uh, yeah i mean i think i think that's an important thing to remember is that things might be easier in kind of showbiz land but as we've seen in these last four years like in the states rights can be rolled back and progress can be rolled back and right. and then there and there are some pretty evil people determined on doing that you know i feel like it's a frightening time in this country as well i think what what the tories 
I don't want to get political, but I think what the Tories... You can get political, I'm political, everyone knows it, don't worry. <laughs> I, 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 think, I think what the Tories are doing with this bill is, is frightening, you know. I yeah. mean, I feel it's so frightening that, that they are trying to stifle peaceful protests. Britain, that's one step away from Russia or something. It's, it is. I mean, like, it's, it's, it's towards the authoritarianism. So, I mean, yeah. I, I do think we need to be very aware of this country, what's actually doing, because, yeah, it starts off with little things like that. And it's then so, next exactly. bit, it's this next. And it's like little by little. They don't just change things overnight. You know, Hitler didn't get where he got to by changing yeah. things overnight. It took him nine years. I know we've got to go now. Um, oh, sure, sure, so sure, sure. I just had one last question for you. Um, sure. Are you still against owning a car or have you gone electric? <laughs> uh, it's funny, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't know if... Because we had this argument. Remember we had this argument about this. You were like, I'm I not mean, learning to drive. I hate cars yeah. and I hate petrol and blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> you I mean, softened I mean, on I, that one. I mean, I feel like part, part of that is still true. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't drive, I, I don't own a car, but, but having, but, you know, but my partner drives and, and, you know, having kids, like, we need to have a car, so like, I get it, but I, it's something that I kind of, something that I'm kind of uh, rolling over in my mind a lot because I'm going to eventually need to, to learn how to drive, um, but I'm, I, I, it is something that I'm slightly worried about. I, I get, a small, get a small electric automatic and it will be easy. You know, just one that's not, you're not doing too much stuff. Or get an electric bike with one of those boxes on the end. Well, the, the, the that's, what, the, well that's what I was thinking, because the, the, that's what one of our neighbours has. She has those kind of like Scandinavian things, but I would just be worried that, because I'm quite clumsy, I'd just be worried that like, I. <laughs> Um, like smashing into things and, and and you know and I don't think you can do that when you have two kids so no, um, the car is better yeah the car, the car is better so I mean it's something that I'm gonna have to get into my dad when we were little one thing he did was that he took us to the countryside in his car yeah. and we just literally ran around fields and it was the best thing that ever happened to me when I was little so you got you, I'm, I'm persuading you I know I am I'm doing it um, I did. I, I did. I did see. I saw in an interview the last week that um, Brian Malko from Sebo can't drive either. So I, I thought maybe, maybe it's a thing. Maybe like maybe I, I don't need to drive. You know, maybe I can just get by and not drive. I just, I just was watching. I was watching an Sebo interview, and he said that you couldn't drive. So um, um, it, 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 it's freedom. But anyway, I'm not going to harass you on that okay. anymore. Okay. But listen, um, I just want to say thank you for coming to chat with me. It's nice to catch up with you via Zoom. Thank um, you, thank you. Really good luck with the album. And it's just yeah, play, it's... play some in your car. Play, play some in your car. I'll play some in my car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Really, only to be played in the car. Yeah. Um, do you have a, a favorite track you want me to bust? Something that you feel people haven't didn't quite give it the respect. Something, I've got oh, this track called Trouble With Me, which I just think is one of the best songs I've written. And so I always say like, yeah, if you want to play Skunk and Nancy track, play it or play Skin Track, play Trouble With Me. Have you got one of those? I've got a, a block party song, that I, a, a, mis, a misunderstood block party. It's been interesting because I don't ever like, I've never liked looking back. I, mean, I never listen to our records once they're done. But this last year, because I've, having, I've been having to relearn everything, I've been having to listen to my music a lot more. Um, and it's just interesting how you feel about things like 10 years later, the songs that you weren't into at the time have been the ones that you kind of can see something in now. And um, yeah. I don't know, what would I suggest? What would I suggest? I mean, I feel like Mercury was always a song that, I was always proud that we got that song on the A-list on the at Radio 1 because it's, 
it's not traditionally the sort of thing that you would hear on the radio. So that was just that was a moment that I was always proud of. So. Oh, I love. Um, okay. Love to fam. Thank you very much. Thank you. Let's hook up when we um when COVID COVID is I'm back in the UK. Sure. I'm in I'm in New York right now. We'll have have fun and I hopefully see you soon. Yeah, definitely. Um, have a lovely rest of your day. No, that was lovely. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye bye. So nice to catch up with Kelly. And if you're new to Skin Things, why don't you also check out some of my past episodes where I've chatted to the likes of Billy Corgan, Debbie Harry, Paul Weller, Joan Armatrading, and so many more musicians. They're worth a listen, uh, definitely if I say so myself. And next time on Skin Things, the incredible voice behind London Grammar, Hannah Reid, will be joining me. I'll see you then.